The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. Raising capital or taking your business to the world? Investment Fix has everything you need to make it happen. This season, we're exploring the US market, the opportunities it offers, what it takes to grow a business there, and the best way to approach investors. The Investment Fix podcast. Tune in today. This podcast is made with the support of New Zealand On Air. A warning. Listeners should be aware this episode contains themes of sexual abuse, some explicit and upsetting descriptions of sex, and it also includes discussion of suicide. Please take care. Episode 3, Mum and Lisa. My thoughts were probably along the lines of he is a bit younger than me. And she's 13 years younger than me. So I don't know what he would see in a 13-year-old girl. I can recall the lip of the pool table digging into my back and it hurting. Everything that our relationship had been built on was we were meant to be together, we were ordained by God. And none of that felt like it fit with this encounter that I was having. And it was quick, and it hurt, and then it was done, and he felt bad. I was looking at my granddaughter thinking, you know, imagine if she were in a sexual relationship. And I, my, I couldn't get my head around it, that, that, that I couldn't imagine it, and yet my own daughter had been in that situation. And I didn't know, and I didn't realise. This is Dear Jane, a series about what happened between a young girl and her youth group leader and how the effects of that experience are still reverberating in her life decades on. Before you had sex, like, you know, um, what's the terrible word? Intercourse. Um, Did you talk about it? Did you talk about, because you were a virgin, did you talk about you losing your virginity? You know, no, we didn't talk about it. It's just something that happened. It wasn't, the, we, we never planned to do, you know, anything that we did. It was never spoken about in advance. You know, we'd always go into like him driving me home and dropping me off last. It's just an opportunity to spend time together. And it would just so often evolve into, you know, like, so you'd start kissing. We'd start kissing and touching and, you know, um, yeah. Jane and I are heading out shortly to meet her family. But first, I'm asking her about what happened in secret with her church youth group leader, a man we're calling Dan, when he was 24 and she was 14. Just a warning here, this next part of the conversation gets pretty gruelling. 
And after you had sex for the first time, did you talk about it? Not about the sex, just about that it was really bad and we shouldn't have done it and that we'll never do it again. Um, it makes me sad because the way that I've thought about me as a 14-year-old for so many of these years is really different to how I think of me as a 14-year-old now. And... There was something kind of grotesque about how I lost my virginity to him. That, like, I don't think I told anyone until we started working on this. Over the years, people have been drip-fed little bits of information, um, including my mum and my sister, about how my relationship with Dan was actually sexual. That was only five years ago. You know, I'm, I'm 44 so that was I, was, I was 39 when I told them that. And, but they don't know that I lost my virginity on a pool table in his rumpus room and that he went to the little kitchenette and got some glad wrap and used that as protection from pregnancy. And, you know, I can recall the lip of the pool table digging into my back and it hurting and everything that our relationship had been built on was we were meant to be together, we were ordained by God, this was an unorthodox way of getting together but ultimately when I turned 18 we would be able to get married and no one would give it another thought because we were two adults who were in love and we'd go and have a family and all that sort of thing and none of that felt like it fit with this encounter that I was having and it was quick and it hurt and then it was done and he felt bad and I'm consoling him Did anyone know you were there? I remember the act in crystal clear detail. I remember the lights were dim. I remember, like, I think the lights were off, in fact, and there was a bit of light f coming in from the, the stair, the door to the stairwell. Like, the stair lights were coming. Like, I can picture it exactly. I know which end of the pool table we were at. What... I don't remember as anything around it. It's almost like there was a spotlight on that moment. So I don't know if it was after youth group. It was at his house and it was nighttime. I know that 100% for sure. So I just can't... Um, I, I don't know how we ended up in that situation. But there were all sorts of ways that he managed to get me alone. Often. And way more than anyone would have known. Um, that it doesn't surprise me. I'm not like looking back going, God, how did he get me alone? It's like, he had me alone heaps of the time. Were you scared about getting pregnant? No. Because of the glad rap? I just didn't cross my mind. It just didn't cross my mind because as far as I was concerned, I wasn't actually sexually active in the way that people mean when they say they're sexually active. 
if you had thought about losing your virginity, because I know I was obsessed with it for a while, like how it would be and where it would be. Like, did you have any expectations already about how it might be? I, at that point of my life, believed that as soon as a man stuck his penis inside a woman's vagina, he ejaculated. That's my, that gives you an idea of my understanding of how sex worked. And even though we'd fooled around and he had come in, in previous, he used to call it setting him off. I used to set him off. That was the terminology that he used. Even though we had, you know, he had ejaculated in previous, you know, sexual instances before, it was a surprise to me when the time came to actually have sex that there was more involved than just like sticking the end in. <laughs> And it all been over, you know, like. So it probably took longer than you were expecting. Yeah, and it hurt. And it hurt. And it was it was friction. And it hurt. And you don't remember if you told anyone? I didn't tell anyone. I really, I remember that I didn't tell anyone. <laughs> That's what I remember. I was so ashamed. It was like the ultimate sin. It's the ultimate sin. As a Christian? As a Christian. So much... You know, as a young person, it's like the, the thing that most people seem to be worried about who are older than you are and happily ensconced in a marriage is that you don't have sex before marriage. There's, so there's a ton of pressure not to be physical with people. We used to have entire youth group sessions that were dedicated to like what, what, what would now be termed in the modern church purity. I don't know what we called it then, just probably not, or probably fornication, you know, like don't fornicate. Jane's mum, Anne, lives in a house on the eastern suburbs of Auckland with a view of Rangitoto and the ocean. Oh, Vinny's here. Hi, Vinny! Vinny's a dog, in case you're wondering. Jane's mum is a petite woman, softly spoken. She's slightly nervous, but also prepared. The table's set for tea, and the china is pretty, delicately patterned in blue and white. It's a bit we sit around the dining table. On the desk across from us is a photograph in a silver frame of a beautiful blonde girl, all big-eyed and mod-bobbed like Twiggy. That's Anne in the early 1960s, around the time she sailed to New Zealand. I was born in the east end of London and it was tough. It was, you know, it was a pretty rough area. Uh, a lady that lived nearby that didn't have any children that went to the church used to take, come knock on the door. She used to knock on the doors trying to take the children to Sunday school. And um, I was the only one <laughs> that would go because I loved anything like that. And I went to that church till I was about 14. Where was that, right in the east it, end? It was a place called the Bethnal Green Medical Mission in Bethnal Green. It was actually a group of doctors, and I loved it. I think it was mostly like the youth group and the outings, and, you know, we went to see Roy Rogers and Trigger at at um, Wembley. <laughs> they had all these outings. And as for kids from the East End that you, you know, you never went on holidays. Mm. I mean, they used to have groups and outings, you mm. know, sports days. And of course, it was, it, was, it was great. Anne met Jane's dad in New Zealand. J 
Jane is the youngest of five girls. I know that, you know, Jane was saying to me that you're quite a private person and that, you know, being interviewed like this is not something you do no, lightly. You that's know, right. It's, mm. it's not something you would do easily. So why did you decide to do it? Because... I feel maybe I let her down when she should have, when I should have been there. So now I, if I can help her or support her, I'll do it. Over tea and date scones, with two fluffy dogs, Vinnie and Leroy, walking around the legs of my chair, I ask Anne what she remembers of Jane's relationship with Dan. I don't think I ever saw it as a relationship. Maybe later on, when she was an older teenager, maybe I did, but I don't recall ever looking upon them as a couple because, in my mind, she was so young. And Jane was a young, a young sort of 13, 14-year-old, not precocious or, you know, a very young 13, 14-year-old, so it never entered my head that she was actually in a relationship with Dan. And because he was, I viewed him as the, the leader of the, the church group that Jane belonged to. Do you remember him being around? Yes, I can re- remember him being at our house, Jane would bring. I don't remember him being there lots, to be honest. Would he have come round for dinner or? I'm sure he must have stayed to dinner a couple of times because on one occasion I remember he must have been for dinner and I asked Jane if she would go to the dairy and get me some cream, for des- which I needed for dessert. And she came to me afterwards and said, no, I can't go because I'm not allowed to buy on, not allowed to go to shops on and buy things on Sunday. So... And what did you think about that? Odd. Odd. Because <laughs> you weren't in the church, were you? I mean, mm. you didn't have a tradition about not buying things on Sunday? No, not at all. I mean, the only people I knew thought didn't buy things on Sunday were Jews. I knew that the Sabbath they didn't because I was brought up in quite a big Jewish community and I knew on Sabbath they didn't. They didn't buy things, but I mean, not not a um, a church, yeah, and a, quite a sort of you know a, a moderate church, not a you know very um, orthodox church. This story about the cream, about Jane saying she wasn't allowed to go to the shop on the Sabbath, even for her mum, reminds me of what both Jane and her best friend Ange said about Dan taking quite a strict view of what constitutes being a good Christian. It also seems to me an indication of the control he had over her at the time. And when Jane first started going to the youth group, how did you feel about that? I was fine. You know, Lisa belonged to the church groups and, you know, she'd grown into a very nice person, a nice human being, so I had no, no worries about Jane going to youth groups. Lisa is Jane's sister. We're going to talk to her shortly. It must have been relief in some ways, wasn't it? it? it, Well, it was, I suppose, because, you know, you you didn't worry about the normal things that maybe you would worry about because you think they're safe. Yeah. You know, they're not sort of 
roaming the streets with a pack of teenagers. Jane said to me that, you know, neither you nor Lisa knew that it was a sexual relationship. No, not at all. I would have gone berserk. What would you have done, do you think? <sighs> well, you know, I think had I realised she was so young, I know it's against the law. And uh, I don't know what I would have done. How did you feel when she told you? When she t- it was only a, a, a couple of years ago, a few years ago. I felt shocked, just shocked. Because at the time, one of my granddaughters was about 13, and I could, I was looking at my granddaughter thinking, you know, imagine if she were in a sexual relationship. I couldn't get my head around it, that, that I couldn't imagine it, and yet my own daughter had been in that situation, and I didn't know, and I didn't realise. And as I said, Jane wasn't, you know, like some 13-year-olds now. I really, you know, but Jane wasn't like that. She was a good girl, you know, and she was not... She was mature in her head, but, you know, she was still a young, you know, a young girl. And she was a, a small girl too, you know. She was small of stature, which makes, you, makes them look younger and makes you feel that they're younger when they're small. Did you ever have any, like, when you look back now, do you have any impressions of him? Like, anything you remember about him? Did I anything... remember he had grey hair, I think, even when he was, you know, which made him look, which made it look worse because he did look older. He had grey hair from, a, you know, at the time. Um, he seemed, he seemed nice enough. He seemed like a, you know, a church boy. Um, What's a church boy? Well, clean cut and, you know, says and does the right things to you, you know, is polite. You know, I I don't remember ever thinking that he was impolite or rude or, you know, and, and that makes it worse because I'm trusting him because he's like that. Perhaps if he wasn't like that, I wouldn't have trusted him. And has your impression of him changed over time? Finding out about the sexual side of it, of course, of course, yeah. Of course, I I just can't, you know, I just found it very hard to come to to terms with, very hard, because I felt as if I'd been duped, I'd been, you know, I'd been made a fool of, really. Nobody wants to be made a fool of, do they? But also, you know, I was worried for Jane, you know, because especially when I found out, and it was only more recently, the last few years, Jane's been through quite some bad relationships. Um, and I I'm sure it's because she didn't have a normal teenage... She didn't have a normal teenage teenager's life. 
It wasn't normal. And when you say it wasn't normal, how do you mean? Well, it's normal, I think, for for girls to have several boyfriends. They'll, you know, they're, they're boy mad and they're sort of, I don't know, 14, 15. They like, start to like boys and they start going to places with their mates to see boys and that sort of thing. That never really happened. And I think you need that to actually be able to decide who who you really would like to you know who really is the right one if we ever know that but you know you need those experiences Jane's talked to me about attempting to take her own life after a breakup she had in her 20s she's clear she doesn't want to point any fingers of blame but that she feels it is in some way linked to the skewed view of relationships she was left with after what happened with Dan. We decided that I'm going to ask her mum about it and that it might be easier for her mum to speak to me if Jane's not in the room when we do. Do you want to go out for a couple of minutes? You can come back. Where should I come How about that side? Give you guys Yeah, get a breath of air. Just give us five, we'll be back. Or you can come back then. You know, I was asking Jane about how she sees the impacts of that relationship that she had. And she told me about some of the things she's been through, you know, about um, when she was staying here. It was terrible. That must have been really hard for you. Yeah, that was terrible. Mm. Yeah. She she wouldn't... Um, she came to stay with us after a breakup and... Um, I had one bedroom that had two single beds in it. She she wouldn't let me sleep in my own bed. She made me sleep in the other bed. And um, every time I closed my eyes, it was as if I was falling asleep, she would say, don't go to sleep, don't go to sleep, don't go to sleep. I must have dropped off, and I remember her kissing me on the cheek and said, I love you, Mum. And I was like, I just, you know, the light switch went off. After her mother had fallen asleep, Jane had made an attempt on her life. And then that's when she told me. And, um, yeah, and so we took her into hospital. Mm-hmm. And do you see those as connected? You know, connected to that relationship? I, 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 I do, because I think, as I said, I think going through teenage years, you, you have to teenagers do go off the rails but they follow it you know they, their hormones are running and and you know they follow a pattern some sort of you know more outlandish than others but I just feel that you know every every relationship she had after that it affected her I don't think she knew how to behave um you know, if if when you think of what happened, now I know now what happened. How can, how can you have a relationship like that that's gone on for I don't know how many years, four years, with somebody controlling you like that, and then expect, you know, it, you you're starting from scratch, really, aren't you? You're starting as as a thirteen, fourteen year old would start again, and of course whoever she's seeing at the time past that stage 
And so it's hard to get it to work, isn't it? The next visit is to Jane's sister, Lisa, and it's a bit more complicated. We're not driving far, just around the corner. You will eat, right? Hi, Lisa. Hello. <laughs> I know we're actually a bit early. Lisa is the eldest of Anne's five daughters. There's 13 years between Lisa and Jane. I was pretty excited when she did start to come to church and seemed to want to come to church too, not just, you know, being dragged along. And why were you excited? Oh, just because no one else in my family came to church with me, so it was lovely to have to have a, a sister there, especially Jane. She was my baby sister. I think I was like a second mum to her. So, um, yeah, it was just really cool. Like Dan, Lisa was a youth group leader in the church near where the girls lived. She doesn't go there now, but she's still a member of that faith. This is hard for her. She's gone back and forth about being interviewed. I asked what made her decide to do it in the end. A couple of reasons, really. I think that um, I think that I'd like to support Jane, and um, and it's probably quite healing for her to go through this process. It's not going to change anything, but I think talking about it, talking to Mum and I about it, I think it, yeah, I just think it could be healing and helpful for her. But mainly, I think I'm doing it in case somebody's listening that this is happening to. And I think, and they think that this is uh, maybe their fault or this is not normal. I think it's a lot more normal than we know. I think it happens a lot more than than we think. Um, I've been speaking to Mum about this, obviously, since um, the talk of the podcast came up. And she, we talked... I, I was... Um, someone was sexually inappropriate to me when I was younger. Mum said the same for her and the same for someone else close to us. And... I think that it's a lot more common than we realise because people, girls, don't feel comfortable um, to speak out or to talk to someone. Um, and so maybe someone listening will find strength to talk to someone they trust, talk to someone that they're comfortable with and, and get help and know that it's, it's not their fault, that... Um, there's no shame attached, not for them anyway. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's kind of why I'm doing it. Some people would say the church has a responsibility here as well. What do you think about that? Um, I think any any group where um, minors are involved has a responsibility to protect those minors, whether it's a church, whether it's a sports club. Whatever it is, I think um, adults need to, you know, just be adults and protect minors and young girls. Um, so, yeah, I would agree. But it's not just the church that it's happening in. It's, it's quite common all around the place. The church was the context in which Lisa first met Dan. As a fellow youth group leader in a community they both loved. 
I'm curious as to how it was that she seemed okay with Dan starting a romantic relationship with her little sister who had so recently joined the youth group. But that's not how Lisa remembers it playing out. She was in her early 20s at the time and not long married to a man she met in the church. Um, I'm not sure if my memory's correct, but I think um, Jane came and maybe insinuated something that there might be something going on and I don't know that we kind of took it too seriously. And then um, all our own members, Dan and Jane, coming and actually sitting us down and talking seriously. You and your husband? Yeah. And what did they say? Just that they wanted to be together and would like our blessing, I guess. Memories are a little hazy on the timing of this. In Lisa's memory, Jane was somewhere around 13 when she and Dan came around and sat on her sofa. But Jane is pretty sure she was probably a couple of years older when it happened. So, around 15. And what did you think of that? I can't really remember my thoughts, other than we'd already... She'd kind of introduced it to us, I guess, and it probably was still in my mind. Um, My thoughts were probably along the lines of... He is a bit younger than me, and she's 13 years younger than me. So I don't know what he would see in a 13-year-old girl. I knew him quite well, and I had no uh, fears on that side. I believed him to be um, upstanding, high standards, trustworthy, And uh, he was an adult, couldn't really tell him what to do. But Jane, I mean, she was the kind of kid that would do it anyway, if you said no or yes. So I don't remember too much around it other than uh, whether we gave, I don't know if it was a blessing as such, but we kind of, you know, said we would try and support them. Um, but they'd also approached mum as well and of course mum had a big chat with me as well and I remember her asking me what I thought and I basically said Dan was a good guy and she would be safe with him in my opinion. Maybe I'm just cynical But I keep wondering how it never entered Lisa's mind or Jane's mum's mind that the relationship might be sexual, especially given how much older Dan was. But I guess I'm coming at this from a totally different angle with the benefit of information they didn't have. It's not the Christian thing for a start. And I really, I really regarded Dan as a a good Christian. Mm. Um, It's also, you know, not legal as well. <laughs> I saw him as a law-abiding citizen as well. So never, never, never. But he never actually, like, he didn't rule it out. He didn't sit down with you and say, you know, I love her, but we're not having sex or anything. No, he never mentioned. I, no. Sex was never mentioned. No. 
And so you think, I think she, we yeah. assumed it. We assumed it. That that is just how we lived. It didn't occur to me a because of her age and b because I really didn't think that was his. That he would. I really didn't think that he would. Even even if she was ten years older, I still don't believe he would have. I still didn't wouldn't believe that he would have had sex with her before marriage. So no, it, it just didn't didn't enter my head. So what did you think? Did you think they'd fallen in love? And oh yeah, I did. Absolutely. And so after that time, if you can remember, were they openly a couple? Yes, I believe they were, although they weren't a showy couple, not certainly not in front of us. Um, but it was then known amongst the youth group that they were a couple. So, yeah. As youth group leaders, were you ever talked to about sort of the appropriate behaviour around young people or was there ever, I don't know, was there like a workshop or anything that, you know, you were you were given? Not really. I mean, as I say, you had to be approved to be youth group leaders. Um, I believe Dan was approved before he was in a relationship with Jane. And if my memory serves correct, when the relationship became known... Uh, they wanted to stand him down. The church elders wanted to stand him down. In the Presbyterian Church, elders are leaders of the parish who have responsibility for their individual congregations. So they have a certain amount of power. This is is my recall. It could be wrong, but there was a meeting um, of the church elders and Dan and... um, I know his mother as well, who was an elder... Uh, she was very concerned, but uh, he he stayed on. I think they kind of accepted him at face value that it wasn't going to interfere with his role as a youth group leader. That's arguable, I suppose. But no one, no one, I think in the church would was would have thought there would be anything sexual going on at all. It was. 30 years ago too. Things were a little different then. So, um, yeah. I requested records of meetings that might have been held among church elders about the youth group during the period when Jane was seeing Dan. The church archivist refused to share them. She said it would breach the Privacy Act. I sent messages to elders from the time with no response. In fact, it would be months before I'd hear back from anyone who was in a leadership position in the church. In the meantime, I do have the annual reports from the church from that time. They show that Dan had stood down as youth leader by the second half of 1995. Jane would have been 16 by then, and their relationship was more widely known. In the report from 1995, Dan is thanked by name for his, and I'm reading from the report here, Effort, leadership, love, energy, and absolute commitment as he served God in the youth group over the years. Nor was his absence permanent. By 1997, his signature is back at the bottom of the youth group report. Here's how he ends it. The youth of this church are worthwhile. 
they will be the foundation on which will be built whatever God's plan is for the future. I wish I knew what that was. Sometimes I wonder why God hasn't done this or that. Sometimes I wonder just when he's going to put this thing all together. I wonder what he wonders about me. Dan and Lisa remained on good terms for years after he and Jane broke up when she was nearly 18. He was a friend of the family, someone in their community. But after Jane told her sister the relationship had been sexual, all that changed. He's wanted a chance to talk to me and I've sort of said no. I've heard all I need to hear. There's nothing he can say that is going to make what happened right. There's no excuse he can give. There's nothing he can tell me that is going to make it any more understandable or better in my eyes. But I have forgiven him. I have forgiven him because otherwise the anger and the bitterness will just consume me. It's complicated for Lisa, finding out the truth about what happened between her sister and this man she thought she knew. She still runs into Dan from time to time. I don't think his personality has changed now that I know. He's still he's still outgoing, very friendly. Um, how would I explain him? He's he put his hand to a lot of vocations. He had a lot of friends. He was funny, um, and he was, in my eyes at the time, he was. And other than this, he was an upstanding young man. Really, I'd have to say that about him, and and he really was. He was very caring. He was very loving. He was, you know, he cared for those youth group kids. He really did. You know, they he really put in a lot of time and effort to come alongside them and teach them. And I mean, there were times when he would, you know, go and go out with, you know, a boy or two and just, you know, have maccas and just chat. And yeah, you know, he was. He was a good guy. He was a good guy. He was a good guy. I'm taking what Lisa says at face value. She's only talking to me to help her sister, after all. But what I'm hearing makes it even harder to know what to think about Dan. Throughout these interviews, I've had a kaleidoscope of images of him running through my head. Is he a good guy or a villain, a church boy or a dishonest manipulator? Is he all of these things at the same time? Who is he? What's the reality here? We can't put it off any longer. We have to see if we can talk to Dan. Coming up on the next episode of Dear Jane. Hi, it's Noel McCarthy here. Do you have a moment to speak? I'm calling because I'm making a podcast series with Jane about the relationship that you had with her that started while you were the youth group leader. And we want to give you the opportunity to have your voice in the series. So at this stage, I'm calling to see, in the first instance, if you might be open to having a meeting with me.
series brings up any issues for you, there is help available 24-7 on Helpline, free call or text 1737. And for more resources, you can visit the show notes for this episode of Dear Jane. Dear Jane is a spin-off podcast network production written and produced by me, Noelle McCarthy. Thank you to everyone who spoke to us for this series. Our producer is Madeline Walker. Our executive producer is Toby Manhire. Story consultants are Alex Casey and John Daniel. Our sound recordist is Tay Hay Butler. Additional studio recording by Samuel Robinson. Our sound design and mix is by Mark Chesterman. Our original theme music is by Tay Hay Butler. Our graphic designers are Tina Tiller and Archie Banal. Our voice actors are Liv Tennant and Tom Clark. And special thanks to Kirsty Johnston for guidance on trauma-informed reporting. This series was made possible by support from New Zealand On Air. for lover. I'm Madeline Chapman, editor at The Spin-Off. If you have the means, consider supporting our high-quality journalism by becoming a Spin-Off member. Sign up now at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.